This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Counterspin, The Young Turks, The Majority Report, The Tom Hartman Program, The David Pakman Show, and Radio Dispatch. Corporate TV networks can devote a lot of time, energy, and money to certain stories they deem newsworthy. That was the message of a recent New York Times report that was headlined, With a Royal Baby Due, News Outlets Are on High Alert. That headline told you all you really needed to know. The networks are sending anchors to report from London when the royal baby arrives. It's a story of little actual news value, obviously, but the networks have already decided otherwise. They make these kinds of decisions all the time. Consider the trial of military whistleblower Bradley Manning. It's the largest leak of classified documents in U.S. history. Those leaks produced countless news stories around the world about real matters of life and death. But Manning's trial isn't news. In early June, the TV networks did brief reports about the beginning of the trial, and that was basically the last viewers heard or saw of it. It's not that there is no time. We're talking about three-hour morning newscasts, half-hour evening newscasts, and one-hour Sunday chat shows. No, the evening newscasts have talked about a cheesy cable movie or even the preparations for the arrival of the royal baby or, as we talked about here on Counterspin, a new hamburger helper product or a floor cleaning tool. As independent journalist Kevin Costola said recently on Democracy Now!, the big outlets cover the Manning trial only when they feel a special obligation to do so, which, for the major TV networks, is basically never. Brody came in today in the Bradley Manning case, guilty on 19 out of the 21 counts. You might have seen in the rest of the media people saying, well, wow, uh, the government really uh, couldn't prove their case on two of their counts. Whoop-de-doo. Now, of course, the charge that they're all talking about is aiding the enemy, which is a very heavy charge. And the fact that he released information on the Internet apparently was enough to aid the enemy, according to the government, but they lost on that. Now, look, that is very important that they lost on it. If they had not lost on it, basically the press and by extension the American people would be considered the enemy. If you ever released information to the press at all, the press is considered people who give the information to the enemy like al-Qaeda. So it would have set a horrible, unbelievably bad precedent. But it was overcharging by a mile. I, I, I never really simply thought that they were going to get that. Uh, and this is a classic thing that the establishment does. They go so far insanely right-wing that when Bradley Manning gets convicted on 19 out of 21 charges, including five counts of espionage that he was convicted on, People go, oh, that's moderate. That's not moderate. That's an insane decision. So there was one other count that he uh, was let off on in, in a particular video re uh, 
referring to Afghanistan that was encrypted. It's a long and complicated story, but it was one minor charge that he was acquitted on, uh, but they also convicted him on other theft charges, etc. And I don't know if you can tell yet, but I'm angry, and you're certainly going to be able to tell. He still faces 136 possible years in prison. Sentencing begins tomorrow. That's, again, also insane. Now, you have to understand something. Um, this guy released information to the public because he wanted to start a debate. There's actually no question about that. It's not like the government says, hey, you know what? He was actually trying to get this information to the Russians or to the Chinese or secretly loved bin Laden and al-Qaeda and was trying to get them the information. They never charged that. In fact, they never even charged that this information harmed a single individual. Aiding the enemy would have meant an automatic life sentence. Now, if the government had seeked it, it would have meant a death penalty. The government didn't seek that, and he didn't get a life sentence. But if he gets 136 years, I got news for you, that's a life sentence. Now, why did he do it? Well, he says it. He says, I believe that if the general public, especially the American public, had access to the information contained within the Iraq and Afghan war logs, this could spark a domestic debate. Now, you could say, hey, you know what, he shouldn't have released it even if that was his intent. Okay, that's a fair argument, and I actually thought that he obviously admitted as, uh, that he was guilty on a certain number of counts actually leaking the information, and he should have gotten some time for it, and he did. He got three years already, 11 months of which was, according to the United Nations, pretty much tantamount to torture. Uh, sent, uh, spent in solitary confinement, stripped naked at night, etc. They said it was inhumane, it was degrading. Uh, and whoop-de-doo, he is going to get 112 days off of his sentence for that. <laughs> wow! Okay. But no one disputes that he, in fact, he did leak the information for the American people, for them to have a debate. Not for Al-Qaeda, not for any of our enemies, not to do espionage, but to actually help the American people make decisions about the Iraq and Afghanistan war. And also, no one disputes that his information was incredibly relevant. For example, the Apache helicopter video where we saw that our own troops killed 12 innocent civilians, shot at two kids, killed two employees of Reuters, journalists, and fired at first responders, which is clearly a war crime. Oh, thank you for letting us know that and what our government's actually up to and what our military's actually up to. And so many more people that had died in Iraq and Afghanistan that our government wasn't telling us. When they're supposed to be our representatives and being our voice. But they're not. They're the voice of the establishment. And that's exactly what Bradley Manning was trying to reveal. And that is what he did reveal. And that's why the government hates him. It's like the Romans. You know, Reza Aslan was talking uh, with Fox News the other day. He wrote a book, he's a scholar, wrote about Jesus. And he said, no one got crucified in Rome for rape or murder or robbery. The only crime you can get crucified and put up on a hill where everybody can see it was for a crime against the state. That was the heaviest crime. And we're right back there now. If you do a crime against the state, how dare you? To try to inform the American people in a democracy... That's it. Put them up on a hill. And they, that's what they're going to, what they're in the middle of doing to Bradley Manning, what they would love to do to Edward Snowden, what they would love to do to Julian Assange. This has become a sick and tyrannical government. Do you know that part of what he was convicted for is this? They said he was guilty of wrongfully and wantonly 
causing to be published on the internet intelligence belonging to the US. Wow, you put that on the internet? How dare you? Now again, leaking classified information, he's already said, yes, I did that. And you want to convict him on that? And you want to give him a sentence on that? We all get it. But not five counts of espionage. And if you are a whistleblower, and by the way, he took this up the chain of command. He took that Apache helicopter to his superiors. They laughed him off. They said, oh, yeah, yeah, come on, buddy, get out of here. So all the people who say, oh, no, no, he should have done it the right way, he did do it the right way. When he ran out of options as a whistleblower, he went to the press. And they said, well, you put it on the Internet, that's it, espionage. Another part of why he got convicted, they said, for having knowledge that intelligence published on the Internet is accessible to the enemy. Well, there you have it, there goes all journalism. If you put it on the Internet, and every single newspaper has a website, Every single television station has a website. You put it on the internet, you're guilty of the heaviest crime. A crime against the beloved state. So all the people involved in this, whether it was the original people who arrested him, all the way through to the president, ought to be deeply embarrassed, but they're not. They're joyous. Yes, we crushed that kid! who did this when he was 22 and was incredibly brave and courageous, he's now 25. Yes, we put him in solitary confinement for 11 years! I'm sorry, 11 months! We didn't even give him a try for about three years! And now he might get 136 years. Ben Wisner of the ACLU says, since Manning already pled guilty to charges of leaking information, which carries significant punishment, it seems clear that the government was seeking to intimidate anyone who might consider revealing valuable information in the future. Well, that is exactly what they were trying to do. They're trying to make an example out of Bradley Manning. If you actually try to be a whistleblower, you talk about war crimes that the American government or American military has committed, we will put you on a stick and we'll put you on top of a hill. And by the way, the rest of the press will go along gleefully with us. They're the establishment press. Do you know that in the middle of the trial, the prosecution actually said, well, look, there are some certain trusted members of the press and establishments, you know, some of the bigger papers and or the TV stations, etc. If you leak information to them, well, that's a different standard than if you leak it generally to someone you think is a guardian of, of freedom on the Internet, like uh, and, and guardian of the American people, as Bradley Manning called it like WikiLeaks or anyone else. I mean, people who the government can't trust to be their PR agents, who aren't the modern-day Pravda, if you link it to them, actually, if you link it to actual journalists who will share with the American people, we will come to crush you. Now, the rest of the press, what, what have they done? Well, I'll tell you. You know, on average, according to BuzzFeed, when the story broke earlier today, the so-called cable news networks covered it, for, on average, for four minutes. <laughs> now, they've covered the Aaron Hernandez trial. A weak-ass tight end, I mean, he was a fine tight end as it was, but uh, he's the second tight end on the Patriots. They've covered it for how many hours and hours and hours, let alone the Jody Arias's, let alone every other nonsense case they threw out there for titillation and emotional porn. But when we have an actual case that's incredibly important to the country, four minutes, that's why the government trusts them, to sweep it under the rug.
If you got somebody who's looking out for the American people, help us bury him. And the rest of the press did. So I fear what he's going to be sentenced for here. Uh, but so far, this 19 out of 21 counts is an abomination. Bradley Manning it tried to help the American people in many ways. He is not only a classic whistleblower, but an American hero. It is way past time to free Bradley Manning. His time has been served. Enough is enough. He actually tried to look out for us. And I guess that was his biggest crime. Hi, Sam. Thanks for your Bradley Manning focus today. Allow me to quote something I wrote on uh, January 2002. I wrote that in September of 01, Colin Powell declared terrorism to be the new benchmark of American foreign policy. This set the stage for terrorism to finally serve as a replacement for the erstwhile bugaboo of communism, a replacement for which the arms industry and defense department has been seeking in vain for a decade. Nine years later, a man named Bradley Manning tried to put a mirror up for us to see what our nation had become under this new benchmark. Then Manning's personal story after his leak became just one more example of what the terrorism benchmark has turned this nation into, a militaristic empire that was quickly corroding its own rule of law and founding ideals. I mean, I think, I, I, I think in time, Bradley Manning will be seen to have been, uh, in many respects, the harbinger of... The first alarm bell disseminated in such a wide fashion. You know, I think you, you must see Edward Snowden's leaks in the context of Bradley Manning. You must see the um, the increased awareness of the stories of guys like Binny and Drake and Tice in the context of Bradley Manning. Um, I uh, personally, I feel that the judge today should just sentence him to time served. Uh, people forget that Daniel Ellsberg, the case was not brought to its fruition. He was not found innocent, or I should say not guilty on the charges. The case was thrown out because of government malfeasance. And there seems to me to be uh, incredible evidence of government malfeasance in the, the handling of Bradley Manning. And that in and of itself should be enough for the judge today to say, time served, you're free. But I think uh, Chase Matter is, is correct when he says that this is going to have to be... Um, to the extent that Bradley Manning has any chance of of freedom in the near or mid or maybe ever term, um, it's going to have to be a function of political pressure. Enitude 08. What are the chances of Obama issuing a pardon for Bradley Manning at the end of his term in 016? 
Whoops, January 07. Uh, I, I, I would be, I would be shocked. I, I, I would put it somewhere around five percent. That's even. That may be high. That's high. Five percent. Three. Like how a point oh oh oh. I don't know. Did you see regarding Henry that movie? With um with uh with Harrison Ford, where he was a doctor and he got into a car accident, and had a brain brain problem, and then he became a nicer guy. I think it was or something like that. Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown, or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm With Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at Majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby, comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock and Lucy Walker, and on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at Majority.fm. So the TV networks that took next to no interest in the trial of Army whistleblower Bradley Manning showed up to hear the verdict. But some of the reporters mischaracterized the very leaks that are at the heart of this story. On the July 30th edition of NBC Nightly News, reporter Jim Miklaszewski discussed the video of a 2007 helicopter attack in Iraq, the one WikiLeaks released as the collateral murder video. In a pre-trial statement to the court, Manning admitted he leaked this classified video of an Apache helicopter attack in Iraq that killed a number of insurgents and two innocent civilians. But that's not what the video in question actually shows. There are three strikes documented. The first is on a group of men, ostensibly because one has what appears to be a weapon. The second attack was launched on a car that arrived at the scene to assist a wounded Reuters journalist. The driver of that car was killed, and his two children were injured. The third strike was a Hellfire missile that was fired into a building. It is unknown who was killed in that attack. One reporter affiliated with WikiLeaks claimed to have met the owner of the building who says several members of his family were killed. So where did Miklaszewski get this idea that it was an attack on mostly insurgents? Well, that was the Pentagon's cover story before the video was released. But NBC's Pentagon stenographer is still sticking with that official story. Oh, and at the close of the report, anchor Brian Williams noted that the Manning trial was a widely watched case. Not on NBC it wasn't.
Amnesty International makes a good point about the perverse priorities of the American people when it comes, or I shouldn't say the people, because that's a different category, the American government who pretends to represent the American people, when it comes to the persecution and prosecution of Bradley Manning. They said the government's priorities are upside down. The U.S. government has refused to investigate credible allegations of torture and other crimes under international law, despite overwhelming evidence. Well, isn't that interesting? So, remember in the Apache helicopter video called, you know, colloquially the collateral murder video that Bradley Manning released to WikiLeaks, 12 civilians are killed, uh, first responders are killed when they come to help the civilians. Now, did any of those folks get prosecuted? The people who actually did the killing, the people who did the war crimes. We'll get to that in a second. All right, first, let me explain to you the war uh, laws of war. Uh, Article 85 of the first protocol to the Geneva Conventions describes making the civilian population or individual civilians the object of attack as a grave breach. Now, that is exactly what happened in the Apache helicopter video back in 2007 when we did that. It's on tape. We've all seen it. It's clear as day, okay? Now, of course, the military says, well, we didn't know they were civilians. Well, you shot them just in case. They didn't have any weapons. Uh, they said, well, the Reuters reporter on the scene had a camera. Well, how dare he? And we thought, maybe it was a weapon, so we killed all 12 people near him. And him. Okay. So that's a war crime to begin with, but hey, I know what the excuse everybody makes. War is hell, civilian. we get to kill civilians after we started a war we didn't need to start with a country that didn't attack us. That's an interesting point. But let me get to something even more serious. Article 17 of the First Protocol says civilian population shall be permitted even on their own initiative, to collect and care for the wounded. Well, they, we didn't let them do that in that instance. You see, again, clear as day in the video, which we've shown on the Young Turks before, you can look it up. The first responders come to help the wounded, and we shoot at them too. Now, this is in the middle of our propaganda, in the middle of that war, saying our enemy is the worst of the worst, and one of the reasons that we said that is that when the Sunni insurgents would attack, sometimes they would do what's called a double tap. So a first car would explode, and then when first responders came in, a second car would explode, as an example. And that was described by us as the worst of war crimes. Well, you're right, but that's exactly what we did in the Apache helicopter video. In fact, we saw that they were first responders. We saw they were coming to help the wounded. We never saw any weapons. We shot and killed them anyway. There were two kids in one of the vans. I'll get to them in a second. The third war crime, section 2710 of the army field. Maltreatment of dead bodies is a war crime. Well, that's very, very true. And uh, what do we do in that case? Well, as you see in the video at the end, one of our armored vehicles comes by and runs over one of the dead bodies and splits the body in half. Now, that's desecration of the body. Look, I'm agnostic. I don't really care that much what happens to dead bodies, but it is a war crime. To me, the attacking the first responders is very much worse, but we do have three literal war crimes here. And what did Bradley Manning do? Well, first of all, he said, I was, quote, disturbed by the response to the injured children, which is uh, an excellent point because, you know what? Um, shooting at kids, that's kind of a terrible thing to do, right? And so he took it up to chain of command. Chain of command laughed him off, said, no, we're not going to do anything about this. And uh, what happened next? Well, they said, sad day for you. 
you have no recourse. So he thought, no, I'm going to let the American people know about this, and he uh, put that out there. But here's the interesting part. He had an obligation to do so. He would be violating the law if he didn't do so. Let me read you U.S. Army Subject Schedule number 27-1. You have the obligation to report all violations of the law of war. So if he had not reported those violations, he would have done something illegal. Instead, we tried him for doing the right thing. You're not supposed to carry out an illegal order. So when your bosses say, hey, you know what, we don't care that we killed the civilians, we killed the reporters, we killed the first responders, clean up, go home. You're supposed to report them. But no, he might get 136 years in prison for doing the right thing, and by the way, for doing the legal thing. During the Apache helicopter video shooting, you can clearly hear one of the pilots that's, uh, say, quote, look at those dead bastards. There's some laughing, and the other one says, nice. And then when they see the kids that they shot at, they say, quote, well, it's their fault for bringing their kids into a battle. But it wasn't a battle. There were no guns. You shot them because, I guess, you wanted to shoot them. You had heard of a battle at some point, somewhere, and you brought a helicopter in the middle of 12 civilians and shot them all dead. And then you said, well, it's their fault for bringing their kids into the battle. Now, who's the immoral one? Who's taking the illegal action here? And then, just to be a little clearer, one of them chuckles and says, I think they just drove over a body. That's where they split the body in half with the armored vehicle. So, obviously, for those war crimes, the punishment must have been much greater than the one that Bradley Manning got. Must have been much more than 136 day, years, I'm sorry, that he faced. Quoting the New York Times here, no disciplinary action was taken. None. The people who did the war crimes, free to go. The person who reported the war crimes, enemy of the state, convicted on 19 out of 21 counts, including five counts of espionage. And the list goes on and on. You know, when Bob Woodward reveals top secret information that was far more classified than what Bradley Manning revealed, and Osama bin Laden even says, I read what Bob Woodward wrote. Oh my God, we gave it to the enemy. Bob Woodward's words went on the internet, and Al-Qaeda heard them. Literally, we know they said it. No action is taken, because Bob Woodward is part of the power establishment. And he got leaked information that was beneficial to the Obama administration. And earlier than that, beneficial to the Bush administration. He's free to go. The people who did Abu Ghraib, the commander in charge of Abu Ghraib when we did all that torture. Well, to be fair, he was punished. You know how much? He got an $8,000 fine. An $8,000 fine. 136 years is what Bradley Manning might get. Five counts of espionage. Now, what do you think? Is it possible that David Sirota is right when he writes, now we see the same double standards in a government that prosecutes and convicts Manning, but doesn't discipline those who committed the crimes he exposed. He also says, it is indeed a precedent endorsing punishment on the basis of political considerations, and thus endorsing the idea that political threats to the government as distinct from genuine national security threats, should be seen as villains. 
and the marching band went on. So Bradley Manning might spend certainly decades and maybe the rest of his life in prison, while all the people who did all the war crimes, all the torture, all the killings are free to go. In fact, of course, the famous words of President Obama were, we don't look backward, we only look forward. That is, of course, unless you made the grave mistake of embarrassing someone like President Obama and the rest of the establishment, in which case they will hunt you down for the rest of your life. Because killing people, torturing people, war crimes are no big deal to the establishment and to the Obama administration. What's a real big deal is hurting their feelings, embarrassing them just a tiny bit, costing them a little bit of political leverage, and tarnishing their legacy. How dare you, Bradley Manning? The reality is, the people who run our government now do not represent us. The one guy who is actually trying to look out for us and educate the American people about what our government's really up to, in this case, was Bradley Manning. American hero, once again, way past time to free Bradley Manning. They should do it tomorrow. For you so proud and powerful, the devil bring me luck. Go searching for your solace when your name goes through the muck. When every breath you take will be a thorn in good men's sides. Then even you might beat the drums of freedom. Hi everyone, today in lieu of asking you to support this show, I want to ask you to support my fundraising effort for this year's Climate Ride. This will be my second year in a row raising money for 350.org, the best climate organization I know of with a massive international reach, and the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, the best local climate organization, which works in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia, and also happens to be the place where I used to work, so I know personally how much they deserve the support. In exchange for you helping me reach my goal of $2,400 raised, I will be riding my bike the 300 miles between New York City and Washington, D.C. over the course of five days in September. To contribute, simply visit climateride.org and search for my name, Jay, and you'll see the full name, Jay Tomlinson, pop right up. Click the name, see my fundraising page, and make a tax-deductible donation. I've already contributed to get the ball rolling. Thanks in advance for your support. Oh, come back if you stand up strong to see your stockpiles rot. So even you must beat the drums of freedom. Bradley Manning will get the full punishment as a war uh, warning to those in the future who want to tell the truth or are inept enough not to leave the country before telling the truth. Uh, I mean, I think that um, he, he's going to get, I have no idea how much time he'll get, but I mean, I would imagine uh, it seems to me that that warning has already been I mean, that's what his whole prosecution has all been about, right? I mean, it's been, it's not been about Bradley Manning. Uh, I think to a certain extent it has been about leveraging against WikiLeaks, but also sending a message. Intimidation. When you create a security apparatus where 1.4 million people have access to this information, where you are classifying as secret billions of documents and communications on an annual basis, uh, the only way that you have to enforce the secrecy regime is by pure intimidation.
And the government's response is also part of what Bradley Manning has exposed. Ask yourself, is the attempt to prosecute Bradley Manning something to do with the judicious application of the law? Or a really rather vile piece of political persecution? Yesterday, a state, uh, actually a senior State Department official, was uh, testifying at Bradley Manning's sentencing hearing. And he was talking about, you know, why Manning should be in jail for a long, long, long time. He said that Manning's leak of classified documents to WikiLeaks had, and I quote, a chilling effect, end quote, on U.S. foreign relations. Gee, you think? Other countries are not happy because we spy on them? I mean, much of the Manning case comes down to one simple fact. The U.S. government, we, got caught spying on innocent civilians and diplomats both inside the United States and outside the United States. And now, now they're going to metaphorically shoot the messenger. I mean, they're not going to shoot Manning, but, you know, send the guy to who spilled the, ge- the beans, Bradley Manning, to, to jail for years and years and years. Think about that for a second. I mean, isn't this approach that the federal government is taking in the Manning case like a shoplifter saying that his big problem is not that he shoplifted, but that he got caught red-handed? Or like a cheating husband saying that his marital relationship has been harmed because he was caught in bed with another woman? Rather than owning up and saying, yeah, okay, we take responsibility for our actions. Our government is playing a game of pass the blame that's really designed to divert our attention from its own misdeeds. And to make matters worse, the mainstream media in America has fallen hook, line, and sinker for the government's attempt to shift blame from itself onto Bradley Manning. I mean, just think about it. You know, our media is not seriously questioning what the government has been up to, the things that Manning revealed is not discussing the actual context of Manning's document leaks, and they've basically been vilifying him ever since the day he was arrested. Jeremy Scahill was on Democracy Now! with uh, Amy Goodman, and he had this to say. He, he laid it out pretty straightforward when he was on, on uh, Amy Goodman's show. When those in power want to gin up support for a war, they know who to call in the powerful media outlets. When they want to tamp down any public awareness of an issue, they know how to, how to make it a non-story. And, and, and their, their colleagues in the media have been utterly complicit in this. Uh, you know, we, there has been more coverage of the indictment of that real housewives lady uh, and her husband than there has of Bradley Manning. Um, and and this, is, this is the state of media in this country right now. And it is just devastating that we don't have a media culture that says, 
this trial should have been gavel-to-gavel coverage. Indeed. Um, so let's, you know, in the spirit of that, let's go back over the details of what the mainstream media has, by and large, missed over the course of the Bradley Manning trial. They've missed the fact that Manning's leaks revealed that U.S. defense contractors were complicit in child trafficking in Afghanistan. Seriously. The, according to leaked documents, DynCorp, a giant defense contracting firm that makes about $2 billion a year in revenue from you and, my, you and me, from our taxpayer dollars, through a party for Afghan security recruits using boys purchased from child traffickers for entertainment. Mainstream media also missed the appalling revelations from the Guantanamo files, which describe how some detainees at that military prison were arrested on, well, the New York Times called it, highly subjective evidence. There was one case where poor farmers were captured when they were seen wearing a style of watch or a type of jacket that was the same watch or jacket that was worn by al-Qaeda terrorists. People who had done nothing. These were just farmers. Yet those, and, and those innocent farmers may still be in Guantanamo among the 80-some prisoners who have already been cleared for release because they didn't do anything wrong. And we've imprisoned and tortured them for six years. More than six years. And the mainstream media also missed reports that U.S. military officials deliberately withheld information about the killings of two Reuters staff members, two Reuters photographers, and a dozen innocent civilians in Baghdad back in 2007, July 12th to be exact. It was that video, when, when that video got released, when Bradley Manning took that video and put it on WikiLeaks, and WikiLeaks put it out, and it got played by the media in the United States for a short while, everybody now seems to have forgotten that came from Bradley Manning. That not only was what was kind of a tipping point in terms of our saying, hey, wait a minute, maybe this war really isn't all that good, and maybe we're not doing the best stuff over there. Here we are killing innocent civilians and journalists. But it also started our government's efforts to hunt down Bradley Manning. Bottom line here is that while the U.S. government is using Bradley Manning as a scapegoat for their own less than desirable actions, our mainstream media is letting them get away with it by not doing their jobs, not reporting on the real significance. In the next week or so, Bradley Manning is virtual certainty going to get a very long prison sentence. The news came out today that they've, they've uh, he was arguing that many of, or his lawyers were arguing that many of the charges against him are duplicative, that they're, you know, he's being charged three or four different ways and times for the exact same crime. And the judge agreed today and said, okay, the maximum that we're looking at right now is 90 years. Right. Now, he still hasn't been sentenced. It may be considerably less than that, but it's going to be, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't pre-guess. We'll see where it's going to go. But in the meantime, our mainstream media really needs to wake up and report. I mean, this is, this is supposed to be their job, to report the real significance of Manning's actions. And you and I, we should all be watching and listening. We should be paying careful attention to this, to say, you know, when is our media going to start talking about what actually happened? 
I mean, you can agree or disagree with, you know, Bradley Manning. I, you know, one of the points that the guy from the State Department made yesterday was that, you know, he, the State Department is finding that some diplomats are reluctant to talk to American diplomats because, you know, it might get released by some future Bradley Manning in diplomatic cables. Well, you know, welcome to the real world. If there wasn't stuff in those cables that indicated that our government had been committing crimes and lying to us, I personally am convinced, and I hope the judge in Manning's case is as well, that Bradley Manning never would have released that information. He didn't do this to make money. He didn't do it out of malice. He did it because he believed in a United States of America that held itself to the high standards that it has proclaimed for 200 years and that has consistently, generation after generation after generation for those 200 plus years, gotten better. We ended slavery. Women got the vote. I mean, we're still a long way in terms of race relations and, and misogyny and, and equal pay for equal work. All the, we still have a ways to go. But every generation, until the Bush administration, it had been getting better and better in this country. Our republic had become more and more open. Our systems of governance had become, well, you know, you can, you can say we've had some problems since Reagan, but... In fact, I'd say we've had a lot of problems since Reagan. <laughs> but the, the, the security stuff, I mean, where we, when we genuinely went insane was right after 9-11, when George W. Bush and Dick Cheney were so terrified that they went to the intelligence agencies and said, Please save us from that big bad man! I don't care if we have to give up our civil liberties! Please save us! And the NSA said, Sure, we'll save you. Just let us look under the bed of every American. No problem. You know, you just shouldn't make those kind of deals. We are at war. We are at war against Al-Qaeda. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwanted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. People tend to think peace, but the U.S. think tanks. Well, they tend to think tanks. So they can get us into debt with the big banks for big thanks Because the old boys, they keep ranks And to be frank, join the army, they say You can travel to new places, buy guns and learn a trade Well, to be frank, I'd rather fire off some vocals Visit all those places without blowing up the locals It's local. Bradley Manning, of course, uh, got convicted on 19 of 21 counts Including five counts of espionage, which is insanity uh, He, of course, claims that he is a whistleblower And that there was no damage done to national security well, often we would hear from his detractors, my God, the damage that he did. And often we would hear from government officials saying, oh, he put lives in danger. The guys that are out there in the field. You think maybe you should have known about the, what the government was actually up to in Iraq and Afghanistan. No, 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 you shouldn't have known that because he revealed too much information. And there were names in there. And God, the damage that was done. Okay, well, we're in the sentencing phase now. 
he can get 136 years. So let's bring up some witnesses and see what happens. First of all, uh, Courthouse News Service, uh, Adam uh, Klosfeld wrote about this. He made a good point. He said, three years of journalistic scrutiny into the effects of the leaks could not uncover a case of intelligence source who was killed or injured because of the disclosures. So three years of the press looking into it, not a single case. Okay, wait, wait, wait. They're going to bring on a witness, though. And this is uh, now retired Brigadier General Robert Carr. And he led the investigation into the damage that Manning had done. In fact, the Daily Beast called him the general gunning for WikiLeaks and that he was a fitting adversary for Julian Assange. So uh, the general got up there and testified. Well, here's what happened. The military's position took another hit Wednesday, the article explains, as the former Brigadier General who headed the Information Review Task Force investigating the leaks said that he had never heard that a source named in the Afghan war logs was killed. Never. The guy who was going to get Assange and WikiLeaks and Bradley Manning, the damage that they did. And his conclusion was he had never heard of any damage. Well, let's go above his head. How about the former defense secretary, Secretary of Defense Robert Gates? What did he say? He said, the rhetoric about the supposed harm caused by the leaks was fairly significantly overwrought. Well, that's the Secretary of Defense and the former retired Brigadier General who was in charge of the investigation on damage, both saying, eh, nobody was damaged. The guy faces 136 years in prison. Five counts of the Espionage Act he was convicted of. Finally, we go to John Kirchhofer, and he's very relevant because he's a former Defense Intelligence Agency senior staffer that was working very closely with uh, General Brigadier General Carr. He said, when asked about the damage, he also couldn't name a single case where any American was damaged, but said that when he went to go talk to NATO allies who, was, who were a little upset about some of the diplomatic cables that were revealed, quote, he said, the reaction included some unpleasant comments directed at me and at the U.S. Oh, I didn't know that. You got some unpleasant comments? Well, then by all means, give the guy 136 years in prison. So they bring the full might of the United States government against this guy. A guy who, by everyone's admission, revealed information that the American people did not know and should have known about what their government was doing, including possibly war crimes of attacking first responders, reporters, civilians, covering up the number of civilians that have been killed in those wars. And the best you got for the damage he did was, my feelings were hurt, I got some unpleasant comments from allies. The guys at HSBC who money laundered for Al-Qaeda, for Iran, and for Mexican drug lords got no time in prison. Bradley Manning, because he caused some unpleasant comments, faces 136 years in prison. Now, gee, I wonder why Edward Stone doesn't turn himself into U.S. justice system. I can't quite figure it out.
As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7-8% to of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. We have new Bradley Manning news. That's where I want to start today on this Wednesday. Army Private First Class Bradley Manning, as we've been covering, has been um, uh, in a trial at Fort Meade, Maryland, over documents that he leaked to WikiLeaks. And we have gotten past the verdict where he pled guilty to some counts. He was found not guilty of aiding the enemy. And then there were a number of charges that he, he was found guilty of some and pled guilty to some. Uh, the, the news is as follows. Number one, the maximum possible sentence, we don't actually know the real, the actual sentence yet, but the maximum possible sentence has been reduced to 90 years. This is a, re a result of the judge deciding that some of the charges that were separate in the um, uh, indictment are actually kind of the same thing. So some of them have been combined, and that drops the maximum possible sentence from 136 years to 90 years. Now, Given his age, that uh, given the fact that he is, you know, in his mid twenties, he realistically could spend most or all of his life in prison, um, depending on, you know, if you if you get ninety and then get that cut in half versus one hundred and thirty six and having that cut in half, that can start to make a difference, depending on what appeals and what else may happen in the future. So that's kind of to be determined. Uh, the sentencing is now in its second week, so, so soon presumably we will know what is the actual sentence for Bradley Manning. The other bit of news is that last night Bradley Manning's father, Brian Manning, did an interview with Anderson Cooper on CNN. And in that interview, he actually said, I believe my son is innocent. In spite of the fact that he's been convicted, in spite of the fact that he's pled guilty to some things, I believe that he is innocent. And the fascinating thing is the reason why. It's not he doesn't think that his son um, would do this uh, or, or any other such thing. The reason, he says, is he just can't understand how someone could get more than 700,000 documents from a classified computer network and give them to WikiLeaks without being detected. So his dad is kind of making the case of how could he really have done this without anybody noticing. It just doesn't make sense. It must have been either someone else or maybe a setup, I, I would infer, that he's implying. Now, what does Bradley Manning say about this? He says the way he did this was he downloaded stuff onto his workplace computer, transferred it onto CDs, and then used his personal computer to send stuff to WikiLeaks. His father also says that Bradley was grandstanding when he said he leaked the information to expose government wrongdoing. Very, very interesting interview. I encourage you to watch it. We're not going to play clips because, just to be perfectly honest, sometimes when we use those types of interviews on the show, we kind of know what sources are very stingy about copyright law. And even though I think we would be perfectly well within fair use to use those clips, 
we don't want to be causing problems. So in any case, it's quite an extensive interview. Look it up, Anderson Cooper, Brian Manning. Check it out on YouTube or CNN website, wherever it is, that you can legally watch it without breaking anyone's copyright because that's very, very important. Um, I, I want to talk about another aspect of this, though. What about all of those individuals? We're talking about the Bradley Manning sentencing conviction and, and, and uh, trial. What about the individuals seen in, like, for example, the video that Bradley Manning leaked extrajudicially killing individuals? No word on any charges there. How about those who actually committed the embarrassments, the war crimes, the scandals that we learned about through Bradley Manning's releases? When are the charges coming there? When, it, when is the disciplinary action happening there? This is like blaming only the drug test for someone doing drugs and never actually doing anything about the individual caught doing drugs. Or to, to, to use kind of a crude analogy, I don't ask because it's a mystery why nothing has happened. It's really not. The answer is those who committed the acts have enough power are, and are in positions of power where they can focus the blame or at least hide in the background while the blame is focused on the messenger, in this particular case, Bradley Manning, not denying that Bradley Manning, factually speaking, broke laws. But uh, that, that's, that's still an open question. What, if anything, is going to happen to all the people involved in the things that, that WikiLeaks through Bradley Manning's uh, documents uh, we're, we're able to release and inform people about. Open question. Once you loom the death penalty over somebody, it like recalibrates your expectations in yeah. this fucked up way yeah. where you're like, well, thank God it's not the death penalty. 140 years, you know, and then you're like, oh, it might not be that. Thank God it'll be, you know, it just, it, the, the just extraordinary prison sentences that, uh, are normalized in the United States, it really, really recalibrates your, uh, your sense of like, what's totally fucked up you know yeah absolutely and i think that a lot of uh a lot of pundits say things like well he he broke the law manning broke the law and uh and first of all these pundits whenever anyone powerful <laughs> breaks the law what scooter libby breaks the law everyone circles the wagons and says well this is a serious shame and and he's a good man mm -hmm. and he shouldn't go to jail for serving his country. Do we want to ruin his whole life for this? Do we want to make policy illegal? <laughs> and the the response should be, well, if you're making policy that's illegal, then yes. Um, but the minute anyone without any power breaks the law, everyone is like, well, the full force of the state should be um, brought down on them. It's clear that that's what should happen. Yeah, from, from Manning all the way... Uh, down to that, you know, just you saying that reminded me of like uh, when the two Steubenville, Steubenville rapists were convicted and that person on CNN was like lamenting about how their futures are ruined. Yeah. Um, you know, meanwhile, <laughs> people 
you know, people arrested on minor drug violations are then in the throes of extremely strict probation uh, guidelines and over-sentencing and, uh, you know, just, it, it's like, Manning is, is, you know, it's a court-martial, it's different, but it's just, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like once you, once you start thinking about, for me anyway, thinking about Manning, it's like, then I start thinking about the criminal justice system in general and, you know, the whole, like, Glenn Greenwald's argument about, uh, how fucked over everybody else gets except for the powerful and it's just all very, very sad and discouraging. Yeah. And the other, I mean, the other thing too to remember about all this is that Dan Ellsberg was released on bond, uh, after after he was um brought into custody and uh there there's like as as um as punishments like you were saying as punishments just get and more and more inflated there's i mean the the argument that that some people make of if you're uh, a whistleblower leaker whatever you 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 violate this law um and you do so because you feel like your conscience compels you to do it. And so you should face the consequences of that. And that argument there, I mean, there is something to that argument. There is, um, that, that argument in itself is not, I think, incorrect, but, but where it becomes inadequate, at least, is that once you start talking about violations that, uh, are, are in the public good, are acts of conscience, and don't result in any in the deaths of of anyone. Um, once you start saying, "Well, the the rest of your life, you 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 need to voluntarily give up the rest of your life," I think that that it becomes much harder. It becomes a much less persuasive argument to say that you should you know come home and face the music or whatever. If if the if the penalties were Five. It's not like five years in jail is a, is not gonna suck. <laughs> like, yeah, spending time in jail is it is a deterrent. But uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, if, absolutely. If the if the penalty is is even like ten years house arrest or something, then I think that people have a much stronger argument to say you you broke the law. You should face the consequences. It's just that the consequences are in outer space. Yeah, and also, like, I, I've said this on the show before. I don't think I've said it recently, so I'll say it again. But, like, there's, I think part of this is, like, because we are the United States and because we have this illusion that justice is democratic yeah. and exceptional and could never be wrong because we are America and like we are America and so the you know so thus any 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 there's like this justification self-justifying force to any um sentence whereas you know I was just thinking about uh uh, this person who I met when I was in Slovakia, whose father was sentenced to 10 years for publishing a subversive literary magazine. And, you know, it ruined their life. 10 years in prison is a really long time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they were in the woods in Slovakia, and he was a teenager, you know, typing out on carbon paper these essays that people sent them um, and that they were publishing in secret. And, you know, just that... But, you know, they knew that what, I mean, there was this clear 
opposition that was the state and it was the parameters are clear you know this we are we are uh you know we know that this publishing this stuff is a subversive act because the state does not want you know uh any texts that aren't supportive of uh-huh. you know the, the regime uh but because none of that is actually out in the open in the united states because of this you know flailing uh you know grip we have on the idea that everything that happens in america must be just and must be transparent and must be uh democratic because we are america regardless of what of how the external of what is actually happening regardless of the fact that you know this uh young man a uh, young person is uh potentially facing death for a leak that didn't result in the loss of any american lives there's this self-justifying well that must just be the consequence you face you know and so That's then the appropriate consequence yeah and so you can keep that so as the as the consequences keep uh, just escalating, just disproportionately, the self justify the self justification doesn't go away because we're still America. Yeah. So there's this way that you can be like that. That I think the establishment uh, can be like, well, that's you know, face the consequences. The fact that the consequences are have little to do with actual justice is is hidden by the like shield that is America. Thumbs up, American flag. You know, bald eagle with a tear, as a friend of the show, Jamie Kilstein, would say. Yeah, and and uh, those those pundits, they don't know people who've gone to jail or gone to prison. I mean, maybe some of them do, but it's not like, I mean, their their conception of what uh, what uh, a like reasonable consequences is completely abstract. Right. Yeah. They're not they're not operating from a like. Well, I knew somebody who had to do three years, and when they got out, they couldn't get a job, and it really, like, fucked with their head. Yeah. It's like, well, if the statute says 20 years, then 20 years it is. Yeah. And and it, 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 how could it be unjust because we have the best criminal justice system or the best... With, it's not the criminal justice system with Manning, but we have the best justice system in the country. We are just. We're number one. We're number one. And it, it really, I think, oftentimes prevents uh, uh, prevents the conversation. It just keeps the conversation in this, like, operating on this, this false premise that everything is absolutely and necessarily just if it is coming from the United States. Yeah. Yeah, and if it if it matches with the written letter of the law, yeah. then let us not question it. This is Elka in Fort Wayne, um, Indiana, and I'm calling to respond to Steve's comments. Steve from Stockton. Hey, Jay, this is Steve from Stockton, California. As a black man, I see that racial component, and I know that Zimmerman would not have followed Trayvon Martin if he wasn't black. Maybe it shows that his identification during the whole Trayvon Martin thing, he can identify more with George Zimmerman, than, and maybe I can identify more with Trayvon Martin. And that's why we, we can't see eye to eye on this issue. As a black man, I have no faith 
in this system being able to do anything for me. You know, I just, I want Steve to know that I hear him, and um, I don't just hear his words, I hear his heart, and uh, I hear his soul, and I hear his, his mind on this issue. You don't have a whole lot of listeners of color. I know you have some. I'm not seeing Henry at all. And um, I know that I've been, you know, one of your longtime listeners of color. And, um, you know, it just, it was, for me, it, Steve's comments touched on a, on a very personal level, needless to say. And I just, I want Steve to know that I heard him. I, I don't know if very many of your, your listeners and callers could hear Steve. I, I know they heard his words but I don't know if they could hear him. I've been listening a lot to the comments that have been made at the end of the past several episodes, you know, comments about Trayvon and Zimmerman and that whole situation. And um, many of them have made me outraged. Um, many of them have just made me sad. And I've just stayed out of it because, quite frankly, I just, I have felt broken. <laughs> I mean, I just, I have felt broken since the Zimmerman verdict. And I just, I have not been able to even form words around this. Wade's comments made me, I just, I can't even speak to how angry and upset and hurt I was by Wade's comments. But not even just Wade, several of your callers, even those who, you know, clearly are thinking of themselves as allies have made comments that have been so just ignorant, hurtful. Um, anyway, you know, and, and, and for me, it's just a reminder of what privilege is. Privilege is being able to sit on a perch and look down and, and you know, through your, your lens of, of arrogance and, and confidence and privilege in, in a given situation, be able to look down and say, well, here's what's right and here's what's wrong and here's what people should be saying or doing or thinking. That's privilege. So anyway, I, I'm ranting, and I don't want to rant, um, which is why I haven't, <laughs> as I said, this is why I haven't even spoken about any of this, um, made any, any comments on it. But um, I just, I did, I heard Steve, and I was touched, and my heart broke for him, and I, I just wanted him to know that I heard him. Thank you, Joe. Jay, keep up the good work. Bye. Hi, Jay. This is Adam from New York. I'm a first-time caller, and I wanted to respond to some voicemails about the George Zimmerman trial, and specifically the discussion over jury nullification between yourself and Casey from Chicago. I've done a bit of reading of my own in my spare time, and I found the origins of this in a book called Origins of the Book of Rights by Leonard W. Levy. Uh, quoting from his book, After a mass meeting of Quakers in 1670, the Quaker leaders William Penn and William Meade were tried for unlawful assembly. When the jurors were asked for their verdict, they would only say, guilty of preaching in Grace Church Street. Prompted to add unlawful assembly, the jury refused. The court threatened to hold the jurors in confinement without meat, drink, fire, and tobacco, and even without so much as a chamber pot. But they remained obstinate, until finally, in outright defiance of the court, they acquitted the prisoners. Rejecting the verdict as contrary to the evidence, the court fined both prisoners and jurors, and imprisoned them all for non-payment. A writ of habeas corpus forced another judge to reconsider the case. The judge decided that he could not direct a verdict of guilty without making the jury superfluous. Incidentally, nowadays a judge may set aside a guilty verdict if he or she believes that the evidence does not warrant it, but as a result of this case, judges cannot reverse a verdict of not guilty. The case established the principle that a jury may render a verdict in accord with its convictions regardless of the evidence. Thus, guilty persons may be acquitted 
because the jury may not wish to punish their crimes. End of quote. From this example, it would seem that Casey's instincts are reflected in early legal precedent. Jurors may acquit any defendant according to their conscience. However, jurors are not allowed to convict somebody who has not broken the law, even if it is clear that the defendant has done something morally reprehensible. This is quite important given our history. Before the Constitution was ratified, bills of attainder were often passed in the states, most notably in Virginia, and these would circumvent the entire judicial process and essentially declare open hunting season on men accused of treason. Now, George Zimmerman was convicted in the court of public opinion just as much as O.J. Simpson was. Yet, for our actual jury, we demand a higher standard. We asked our jurors to tell us if Zimmerman had, beyond any reasonable doubt, broken the laws on the books. And although I was personally very much angered by their verdict, they decided that whatever moral laws he had broken, the Stand Your Ground law provided them with sufficient doubt to acquit. The case law I mentioned earlier unfortunately means that no state court judge can overturn this verdict. But this isn't over. The Justice Department is continuing to review the case, but even with Zimmerman walking free, we should still try to see positives coming from this. Sending a man to jail won't bring Trayvon back, but the outrage sparked over the racial context of this case could yet force change. If, in the words of another caller, we stay angry, as Lee Camp often says, we can hope for a future where no young black kid will have to deal with the disgusting prejudice that even our president once faced. Uh, Jay, I really love the show, and I'm looking forward to the next podcast. Keep up the good work. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or to relate your firsthand activism or protest-related experience to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So today, I'm going to mercifully put the Zimmerman trial discussion to bed and have this be the last word on it, unless something really unbelievably amazing is said on the topic. First, I just have to announce that actually I've had a change of heart on the entire jury nullification discussion that I began, and, and, and frankly, and you know, this doesn't happen often, but the reason for that is that I usually think things through a little bit more deeply before I talk about them on the show. I, I, I did the jury nullification argument a few episodes back, and as I posted it, I, I thought to myself, huh, I wonder I wonder what holes are going to be poked in this argument. I'm, I'm interested to hear what sort of calls I'm going to get. And the calls that came in, uh, you know, thanks to them, it, it, honestly, it didn't take much to, to push me over in their direction, uh, really just showed me the, the element of the discussion that I was missing, which was the bigger picture uh, element. And, you know, I, I thought then, and I still think now, really, that something like reverse jury nullification would have generated a more just verdict in this particular case. But but I've, I've come to agree with sort of the obvious point now in retrospect that that doesn't create a more just system in the broader sense. And, you know, it, it threw into stark relief, you know, the, the same sort of feeling I have about the death penalty. I'm against the death penalty essentially because I don't want a system that has a chance of putting an innocent person to death, even if it means allowing lots of guilty people to live. Similarly, I want a system that errs on the side of false innocence rather than false guilt. I, I would rather guilty people go free than innocent people uh, be imprisoned. So that's why I thought that the comments at the end of Adam's call today were so important about, you know, maybe this is how this particular trial needed to end, but 
we need to use the inherent injustice of the of an outcome of a trial like this as a catalyst to change the laws. However, the last thing I want to say on this subject is that I feel strongly that there are two very distinct, very different conversations going on in, in the wake of the Zimmerman trial. One is about the trial itself and the law and the legality of the verdict and so on. And the other is to actually look at the systemic implications, both racial and social and so on, that this trial so clearly exemplified. And, you know, so to sort of piggyback on what Elka was saying about those who sit on their perch of sort of arrogance and confidence and privilege and look down and simply talk about, you know, the law and the system and it is how it is and this is how everyone should feel about it, you know, in the wake of the inherently, you know, just system we have or whatever variety of things people are saying, then I'm positive you're missing 95% of the conversation that should be had. I mean, the the law is definitely something that needs to be discussed, but that's not the core of the issue. So if you are focusing on the law and feeling very self-assured about your rightness in, you know, understanding the intricacies of the law and understanding the outcome, then you're missing essentially the entire point. And if you don't understand why other people don't seem to be agreeing with you, then it's because you're having a completely different conversation. So that's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who have supported my Climate Ride fundraiser. Uh, thanks to those who have become members or made one-time donations to this program. That's, of course, how the program survives. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com and it's a crying shame how we get so trained we can see past our own sad stories and wonder why we're missing we can see past our own sad stories and forget See past our own sad stories and wonder what we're doing. Can't see past our own sad stories and forget who it is before.